in the book of Ruth. I'm sorry, we, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2. Today we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2. While you're turning there, um, the last time we were in Ruth, we started with the first chapter, obviously, and we saw that it was a bleak time in the period of Israel's history, and it was also a bleak time for Elimelech and Naomi and their family. And tonight we're going to see things start to really turn around for the better, and for Naomi to see the treasure she has in her daughter-in-law, Ruth. So we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2. Let's cover the first seven verses. Start with that. It says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant, who was in charge of the reapers, answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from the morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Uh, if you're having trouble finding Ruth, it's right after the book of Judges. All right? And so we, verse 1 through 7. Now, you have to understand a little bit of the culture, a little bit of the law, Jewish law, to really understand this book. Mosaic law, which every good Jewish person had to follow right? Uh, it forbid the wealthy to reap their entire harvest. And this covered wheat, barley, grapes, olives, the main staples of their Jewish diet. Uh, so they had to leave a, a part of their fields for the poor, the orphans, and believe it or not, the strangers who would come by. Uh, God really was into hospitality. Uh, we see this found, if you're interested, in Leviticus 19, Leviticus 23, and Deuteronomy 24. So this would also indicate that Naomi and Ruth were not well-to-do. They probably, you know, after coming back and all the things that transpired, maybe even would be classified as poor, okay? Verse 3, we see Ruth comes across Boaz's field, and we're going to see a lot of divine providence. We're going to see how God gets these two together. Uh, it's a really neat story. And verse 4, now, you see this relationship that Boaz has with his reapers. He's a man of great wealth. They're really his servants. And the rich get often a bad rap in the Bible. But many biblical rich, you know, characters who are rich were good. And we'll see Boaz was also a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's husband that died. So he greets the reapers as brothers and sisters. Again, we get the idea that there's a relationship here, not a resentment, not a you know, what we would think of as the typical, you know, um, master and servant's resentment, but there's a relationship here, even by these few verses. And I also find it impressive that Boaz, who was someone with, you know, earthly status, uh, he was, it didn't blind him. He was humble. 
And, and, and you know, the more we read about those in the scripture, or even the, those we see today that are humble, you know, maybe they've achieved great uh, wealth or achieved great degrees after their names or very intelligent people, and you wouldn't know it. They don't flaunt it. It's a very attractive character, right, written sort of like a, like a garment. Okay, so we see that Boaz knew all of his reapers, at least to some degree, because he doesn't recognize Ruth. And he asked them, who is this? Okay, I just pick out these, these things from here. It's, I find it interesting. Now, the first quality we'll see in this chapter of Ruth is, first quality in this chapter is that she was a hard worker. She works the entire day with a brief time of rest. Kind of reminds me of my wife. I know when springtime comes, she's out there digging and moving rocks and when I'm at work and I call and there's no answer, I know she's outside in the garden. Um, and I find that hard work and hard times, and, and even in the Bible it says that they're character builders. I was um, on patrol last week and I, it was freezing out and there was an a 84-year-old woman who was broken down. And I ended up, you know, we had to tow the cars, and I ended up driving her all the way past Monroe to where she lived. And, you know, I wanted to give her a ride home. But it's funny because I said, you know, what do you do? And she says, I'm, I'm a home health care aide. She goes, I move patients and at 84 years old. And I was like, oh, I felt bad for her. And she goes, young man, are you saying that I'm too old to work? And I was like, whoa. But it was so cool because this woman enjoyed what she did, and she was doing physical labor. It was very impressive. By contrast, I was watching a show on the Marines, today's Marines, and it says that 27% of the youth today are rejected, that they, they, they won't even make it to boot camp. The Marines look at these young people of today and, and look at them, and they find out that they're sickly, and they, uh, they, they don't, they're not accustomed to the exercise, and they're concerned that boot camp might kill them. So 27% immediately are eliminated from getting into boot camp. You know, it, it's kind of funny, but in this generation, and you could see any generation. I'm not just picking on our generation. I'm, I think I'm part of this generation in a sense. But, uh, you know, depending on where you go in the world, uh, the 1800s and the 1900s were fraught with world wars and European wars, and people had to learn to work. They had to learn to um, not have it easy, to go without, and I think it really built their character. And then our grandparents wanted to make a better life for us, and in some respects, they shielded us so much from hard times that they spoil us, right? And you just see this. So it, it may happen again with the economy and everything that's going on, who knows? I kind of sound like my grandfather here, but I'm gonna move on. Verse eight, it says, then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have let, left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant. 
though I am not like one of your maidservants. So Boaz becomes protective of Ruth. You know, this is how it starts, right? Um, apparently he runs a tight ship when it comes to his fields and his workers, and he basically won't allow anyone to touch her or to bother her. Uh, but he can't make the same promise if she goes to somebody else's fields. A little enticement to stay in his fields, right? Drink the water that my men draw, stay close to the women my fields. And in verse 10, we see a second quality in this chapter of, of Ruth. It's an incredible humility and respect, right? Again, she just puts herself lower. She doesn't understand why he's uh, taking notice of her. She, you know, you know, it's funny. Jesus says that when you come to a feast or like a social gathering, don't sit at the head table because you're going to be embarrassed if the person who's in charge or the, the guest of honor says, hey, you know, I, that table's not for you and make, makes you sit somewhere in the back and then bring someone else in your, it's going to be embarrassing. He says, always put yourself in a lower position and let somebody ask you to be moved up to the, the head table. So uh, you see that with Ruth. She's a very humble person. And uh, again, again, these qualities also need to be a part of ministry as well. And again, not to pick on today's generation, uh, but what is the attitude, the prevailing attitude in American society? You know, the land of so much. Um, we, do, we, we are a land of so much. I mean, if you compare even the poor people of America to the poor people of uh, Asian countries or African countries, you know, there's no comparison. I mean, these people are dying of malnutrition and um, left to their own, if they, if they can't work and they can't feed themselves, it's, it's not a good thing. So again, we, we are the land of plenty. But by contrast, not to pick on everybody, um, I was in Best Buy the other, uh, few months ago, and but young people, a lot of young people work there, and they were just so respectful and, and just smiled and looked you in the eye and, um, you know, they, I don't know if they just pick out certain good people or they train them right, but I actually wrote a, a, a whole letter and sent it into Best Buy and gave their names and everything because I thought that was a great thing. You know, they just didn't look at you as another number. They looked at you as a human being. So that was good. But in humility, she asks why he's treating her so well. And his response is, he's heard, it's been fully reported to me. So basically, her reputation went before her, unbeknownst to her, right? And, you know, she wasn't arrogant. She wasn't stuck up. She was completely humble. And I got to tell you, I, as I read the story, um, I refresh my memory because I haven't read Ruth in years. And I was like, okay, I'm going to study it. And I just find myself falling in love with both of their character. I mean, they're just two wonderful people. All right? So Ruth's reputation preceded her. And we have to ask ourselves this question because it would be a shame if we didn't make this application. If I think about myself, right? Think about ourselves, me, you. What is our reputation? If our reputation was to go before us, what would it be? Would people say that we're godly? Would people say that we're generous? Would they say we're respectful, kind, a servant? Do we display the fruits of the Spirit? Or would they say, you know, Joe, he's a pretty self-centered guy, or he's a hothead, or he's uh, unappreciative or unmotivated, right? So we have to look at these things and ask, you know, if, if we were in this situation and somebody said your, rep your reputation has preceded you, would we cringe or would we feel comfortable with that, right? And verse 12, and this guy, Boaz, again, he's a man of wealth. He's a man of, um, you know, uh, command, of uh, authority. But he doesn't even take credit. You know, he doesn't try to be the hero. He basically acknowledges to her that it is the Lord who repays her obedience. This is a great man of God. 
And verse 13, Ruth's third quality, social, social humility. Again, even with the servants, right, she doesn't put herself on their caliber. She puts, and always assumes, like Jesus said, she puts herself in the lowest position, right? Verse 14, it says, Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her. And she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean, even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And let some grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So Boaz wants Ruth to have the best of what he has. And again, he's such a a humble guy that he wants it to just kind of look like Oh, they fell down and she picked them up. And don't say anything. Let her have that. So again, you see this guy's humility. Verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she, she could see that she had some good stuff there. She had a good stash. So she's pretty excited about that. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, The man is a relative of ours, one of our near kinsmen. Now, just so you know, an ephah is a Hebrew dry measure, and an ephah was uh, around a bushel or more. They're not exactly how much it was back then, uh, but it probably was to the tune of 32 dry quarts or 8 dry gallons. So that would have been enough for the two women, enough grain for almost a week. Right? So um, she had so much that you know, if she wanted to, she wouldn't have to work for another week and just kind of recovering from all that physical labor, I don't know. But verse 19 and 20, we see Naomi start to warm up and change her attitude. She's becoming more optimistic. Remember I said the last time, optimism for the sake of optimism is foolishness. Just like faith and faith, there's no such thing. Your faith has to be in something. If your faith is in the creator of all all the universe, well, that's a good place to put your faith. So this Ruth is becoming more optimistic, but it's based on circumstances controlled by the Lord. She knew that it was the Lord working in her and her daughter-in-law's, Ruth's life. Verse 20, last few verses. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, uh, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, The man is a relative of ours and one of our near kinsmen. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, women, excuse me, and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. So Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, is a treasure that she's finding that, um, again, it didn't start off good, but, um, you know, it was very painful and, and sorrowful, but... As time goes on, she sees what a treasure she has in this daughter-in-law. 
Now, there's a few laws that come in, and again, to understand everything that's going on here, as we go on in the story, we have to understand the Hebrew laws, the traditions, and things to that nature. There was a law of the kinsman redeemer. Now, those of you who have read this book and studied it understand that. That's in Leviticus 25, 25 through 34, okay? And Leverite marriage, which is covered in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. Now, in Leviticus 25, the word that we hear, you've heard the word uh, goal in the Hebrew. I hope I'm saying it right. I looked at the pronunciation. Some say goel. It looks like goal. But basically what it is is that the next of kin can buy back the relative's property that was lost or sold because of poverty, right, to keep it in the family, the kinsman redeemer, somebody close of kin. But they also, uh, through Leverite marriage, would marry the widow, right, so that they could carry on the family name and all that kind of stuff. So you have that happening here, and we'll see that through the story. And in verse 33, or excuse me, 23, it says that she gleans until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. Now, what separated the barley harvest and the wheat harvest were 50 days. So this was a long time that she was able to be in those fields, and then you see there's a relationship that develops. Now, for those of you who are into types, so to speak, you can see Ruth as the largely Gentile church. She's a, a Gentile that was brought into the fold of the Jewish people. And Boaz as a type of Christ who marries or redeems the church so they can partake in God's riches. Some may don't may not see a, an exact um, parallel there, and that's debatable. But we can also see, too, the first fruits in this story, right? We've talked about first fruits, uh, reaping of the harvest, and then the gleaning, which was really the last stuff that was, it wasn't necessarily the bad stuff, it's just that it was the last part of the harvest. Um, not not the, the garbage or anything, but um, they would take, I think it was the corners that they would leave, and then the poor people would take up the corners, and there were so many acreages that they could take, and all the poor people could be fed. So you see the first fruits, which would be brought to the house of the Lord and dedicated to God, the full harvest and the gleanings, right? And in that we've seen, and you've heard this, this is a picture of the resurrection, the first fruits. Jesus started the resurrection. He was the first fruits of the resurrection, the Bible tells us. And then the rapture, which is another resurrection, right? Uh, that one day the Lord will come back, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 through the end of the chapter, and he takes his people with them. And then the third part is the gleanings, in the sense the tribulation saints, those who are left here after uh, you know, the rapture, and they have to stay here through the great tribulation. And then at the end, uh, they're also brought into the resurrection during those the tribulation saints. So you see a lot of types in the Old Testament that become fulfilled in the New Testament. Now a few points here. Ruth had a hard life, but she never saw herself as a victim, right? And again, in our society, um, people are so bored that they have to watch these talk shows about everybody who's been a victim. We're so bored with our lives that we become voyeurs. We look into other people's lives and watch these talk shows, you know, not me, but hours upon hours, and Jerry Springer and all these different people have all this drama that they're even saying that some of this stuff is staged. But the point is, it makes for good talk shows. Everyone's a victim, everyone this and that. I'm going to read what Warren Wiersbe says uh, about this subject, and I like what he says here. He says, I find that many people are miserable because they don't obey the admonition of Hebrews 12.2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. They spend so much time looking at themselves, their circumstances, and other people that they fail to do what Ruth did, namely, center their attention on their master. 
Instead of resting in his perfections, they focus on their own imperfections. Instead of seeing his spiritual riches, they complain about their bankruptcy. They go to church to get their needs met instead of going to church to worship the God who is greater than any need. They need to heed the counsel of the little poem a radio listener sent me years ago. Look at self and be distressed. Look at others and be depressed. Look at Jesus and you'll be blessed. <laughs> I like that. Second point. Because of the events that transpire, the great amount of food that Ruth comes back with and the favor she finds with Boaz, Naomi is starting to praise the Lord for, for having favor upon her. Now, we saw Naomi in the first uh, chapter, and I actually went into the Hebrew, and it's very clear that she was bitter. She even says in verse 20, if you look at it in the Hebrew uh, of chapter 1, she says, Do not call me pleasant, call me bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And the very in the Hebrew is actually a, um, an adjective to bitterly. So she sees now her life is starting to change. In Ruth's uh, circumstance, Ruth just focused on Jesus. I'm sorry, she focused on the God of the Jews, and she, and she allowed her circumstances to change, whereas Naomi, she allowed circumstances, better circumstances, to change her outlook. But we see it's a happy ending for everybody. And the third point is that, amazingly, Ruth, you have to check this out. If you understand the culture, if you understand all the history that we've been going through in the Old Testament, Ruth, this formerly pagan woman, has had more faith in God, in the God of the Jews, than most of the Jews, especially in chapter 1. This pagan woman who knew very little about the Hebrews' God is now teaching others about his character. Right? So never underestimate the miracles that can be wrought through a former unbelievers or new believers. Remember, the Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We look at somebody doesn't look like me, somebody doesn't dress like me, somebody doesn't talk like me. Somebody, um, you know, you just look at people. And it's really sad how sometimes we can look at someone and look at their culture or look at their language or look at how different they are from us and immediately there's like, um, we shouldn't do this, but we would rather gravitate to somebody maybe who's more like us or maybe more our style. But the Bible says, it's funny, when they were looking for the king of Israel, they looked at all David's brothers and there was one brother left, a little shepherd boy, a little runt, red-haired boy out in the field. And they were ready to pack it in, almost questioning if God really wanted, uh, I believe it was Samuel, to go to the house of Jesse. And, hey, there's one more son. He's out in the field. Bring him in. And God said, that's the one that I want. Because the Bible says that man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So I just pray at this point as we close that we could learn a lesson from the story. Uh, we can see the types. We could see the people, we could see their attitude, and we could see their character. And even it, it wouldn't hurt us sometimes to, like Jesus said, to put, put ourselves, to take a few pegs down from what we are, what we think we are, and be humble and see what the Lord does with us. Let's pray.